Awesome. Good morning. Welcome to our summer worship series that we're doing. It's called The Book of Galatians, written by none other than the Apostle Paul. The theme that we've been carrying through this series is freedom in Christ to love others. Please take your Bibles and join me today in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. Galatians chapter 3, as we slowly but surely make our way through this book together. While you're turning there, I just want to um, say what I think could be on some hearts. Some of you may be wondering, you know, Pastor Bill, why do we take time to kind of walk our way through these very old, dusty, and yes, musty writings that are like 2,000 years old, And they talk about things like the Mosaic Law and keeping it, things like circumcision, which is not what you hear in church just all the time. And and we're constantly talking about this group of people called Judaizers, which, if I understand correctly, they're okay with people putting their uh, faith in Jesus, but they must also keep the law of God, which, by the way, happens to be found in the Bible given by God. So... It's a little, a little hard to understand, a little confusing, really. Uh, and, and, but the bottom line is, what does this have to do with real life? You know, what is this all about? I mean, again, we're talking about a book that's 2,000 years old. And it is written into a very specific cultural context that includes mosaic law-keeping and circumcision. Quite frankly, issues that we don't really have to worry about today. And so it was written into that context, and it, 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 if we're not careful, this Sunday morning uh, experience through the book of Galatians could actually turn into kind of like a college-level history class, which if you're into that kind of thing, that's cool, but if you're not, what difference does it make? Because it's really hard to find relevancy to something this old. You know, I, I think sometimes we can think that, but I just want to say this. The point of the writing of the book of Galatians, the reason why the Apostle Paul labored to write this letter, once you strip away all of the cultural significance, Mosaic law, circumcision, these people called Judaizers, by the time you whittle it all down, what the Apostle Paul wants us to get, what he wanted them to get in their day and age, is this. There is only one true, soul-saving, eternal, eternity-giving message. Only one way to be right with God, and that is by faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone, and all of this is by the magnanimous grace of God alone. This is what it all boils down to. All the other stuff is window dressing that dealt with the issues of that day. But if we get nothing else out of what we're talking about through this study, it is simply this, the message, the one and only message that can save a soul is Jesus plus equals, that's it, you've got it. And that, my friends, is always going to be culturally or or, uh, relevant. It's always going to be something that, that will need to be embraced at every time throughout time. And ultimately, it's extremely pertinent for you and me. 
Uh, quite frankly, because by it, this message of grace, by it in it alone, you can be saved and ultimately sanctified. By it in it alone, your children can be redeemed and their lives can go on to be invested in something that's bigger than life. By it in it alone, your friends, your relatives, your co-workers, your neighbors can be born again and find a life that is worth living on this earth. And if it's lived in faith in Christ, walking with him, they will be rewarded for all eternity for the faithfulness they show to Jesus. Paul said this, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What? Faith alone. In Christ alone, by the wonderful grace of God alone. You see, that's the point. That is what we're truly, really trying to get our arms around. And Paul walks us through the stipulations and, and current cultural realities of the day and age of the Galatians. But let's not lose the message in all of the window dressing that Paul had to deal with in his day and age. Because, friends... It is a message that we really should grasp. It is a message that we need to embrace personally. It is one that we need to learn really well. It is one that we need to love so much that we're willing to share it with others. Because guess what? There just so happens to be Judaizers in our day and age. There are people walking around today who will tell you, I'll tell you how you can be right with God. I'll tell you how you can know that you have eternal life. In fact, this past Monday, now you've got to understand, Sunday, a week ago, I get up at about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to get ready for this time in the morning, Then I preach two services, <clears throat> and then by Sunday evening, I'm usually just a waste. You know, I'm, I'm gone, I'm done. Uh, last week, Elisha, who works down at Applebee's right now, worked until after 11, so I stayed up to see that he came in okay, and so like 21 hours had gone by, and I was totally toast at that point. Went to bed, fell in bed, woke up the next morning on Monday, just kind of not all there, and then there was this knock at my door. And I went down, and I didn't look my finest, and I wasn't thinking clearest, and there were these two finely dressed women standing at my door. And, and they, they, they were just dressed to the nines and very pleasant, very nice. You see, they had a deep concern for my soul. And they were going to share with me the truth of the watchtower. That's who they represented. Now, they didn't say it, but they're Jehovah Witnesses. That's what they are. That's what they do. And so they were there trying to share with me this wonderful message of God's saving plan. And if I would just take their literature and get involved in one of their Bible studies, they can show me the path to heaven. Well, that conversation didn't go on very long. Uh, over the years, I have debated and wrestled and debated, and I was in no frame of mind to debate, so I just made it very clear. Listen, I'm a local evangelical pastor. What you believe and what I believe are radically different things. There's only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. At that point, they said, fair enough, and they walked away. You know, I wasn't terribly gracious, I'm afraid, because I wasn't in the best frame of mind. But what I want you to understand is this. According to the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, they do not believe in something called the Trinity, a core cardinal doctrine of Christianity. They believe that there was only one true God, Jehovah, and that Jesus is a God, whatever that means. So if you, according to them, believe in the demigod Jesus, 
and you bring your life into moral equivalency with the Word of God, and you put yourself in, in a local kingdom hall by constant association, and you are consistent in carrying out their false teaching from door to door, then you will be able to experience the life God wants you to have. It is Jesus plus, 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 plus. That is the consistent teaching of those outside of the message of the gospel of grace. It's always Jesus plus something. And so this is real. These people are really out there pretending to be representatives of Jesus Christ, leading people astray. And so there is, on the one hand, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're very active in our neighborhood. In fact, I spoke with Dennis, and he said just the week before, they knocked on his door. How many have had a knock on your door recently from the JWs? Look at this. They're actively out there spreading their truth, and they're actively leading people astray because the message is not Jesus plus equals it's always Jesus plus. You've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. Put yourselves in our hands, and we'll make sure you get in there. That's a lie. That is a lie. So uh, outside of the pale of orthodoxy, there are the JWs. And on the other hand, there are the Mormons. Uh, the Mormons are on the other extreme. Everybody can be a god. Isn't that great? See, they don't have any problem with the Trinity. They just want everybody to ultimately achieve godhood. And, you know, once you pierce the veil of, of, of Mormonism a little deeper, what basically they're teaching is this. We can help you come to the place where you two are a god. And in, in the future, you will be able to have your own earth, your own place of habitation, where you as the god over this creation can now, with your many wives, it's always guys with many wives. Have you ever noticed how that works? With your many uh, uh, goddesses, you can procreate these spirit beings babies. And these spirit babies will need bodies to inhabit. So those on on earth who are faithful have to have large families because these spirit babies need uh, human bodies in which to inhabit so that they can then go on and likewise find godhood. Did you know that that's what they believe? Doesn't come out in all their nice little moral commercials, does it? But it's a lie. And what they basically say is this, you are saved by grace after you've done all you can do. That's their teaching. And they have a whole plethora of gods, this pantheon of gods, and it's, 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 it's false. We have the truth encapsulated in the word of God, written 2,000 years ago by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. So why do we take the time to walk through these dusty, musty old writings? Because eternal souls are at stake if we mess up on the message. And so we have the message of the gospel of grace. Take your Bibles this morning. And please join me in the soul-freeing, gospel-teaching, grace-laden book of Galatians this morning. This book has the ability to break the shackles of lies that hold too many in slavery. This morning, we are going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3 together. And so as we follow the Apostle Paul's thinking, in the first two chapters, he basically said this, my gospel is the one and only gospel of grace. And now we're focusing in on this truth. It is experienced by faith, not by obedience to the law or by the doing of any kind of good works. Galatians, chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Let's read this portion together. Here we go. 
Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're going to unpack that in a minute. It's phenomenal. Know then that, those, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's from Genesis chapter 12. So then, Paul says, in summarizing things, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Father, some of us are here today and we're just a little tired. It was a late night last night or it was a hairy morning getting here today and we haven't had enough coffee and our minds are a little befuddled. Capture our attention, I pray. Open our understanding, I ask. And help us to capture today the eternal, soul-changing truth of the message of the gospel of grace. May we know it so well that we can refute error and we can lead those who are in darkness to light. Thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for preserving his writing. Thank you that today we know the truth. Jesus, in your name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. 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 Great. Uh, What we're going to be doing now that we enter this part of Galatians, this is the doctrinal portion. And what the Apostle Paul is going to be doing is he's going to be developing a rather extended and elaborate exposition of Old Testament scriptures to to, um, back up and justify his point that he's making to the Galatian believers. And so he's going to carry this rather uh, tortured uh, description or um, interpretation of Old Testament scripture all the way through the end of chapter 3. But the most dominant character that we discover in this portion of scripture is a man by the name of Abraham. In fact, nine times he's going to reference his name as he continues to push forward this argument about what the true message of the gospel is. And so as we begin to look at these verses, uh, verse 6, notice what it says. This is, if you will, uh, Abraham's example, his example of what the message of the gospel is. Paul says this concerning Abraham, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul's allusion to Abraham at this point in his argument uh, is really a stroke of genius. You see, Paul's adversaries, the Judaizers, those who said Jesus plus, 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 the Judaizers looked to Moses as their primary teacher, and they were often enlisting Moses' authority for what they were teaching. And so what the Apostle Paul does here is he goes back 500 years, roughly, before Moses to the patriarch of the Jewish race, and he pulls out the trump card. Beat that! Because in what he does in a very real way, by referring to Father Abraham as his source of authority, is that even Abraham, 450 plus years prior to the giving of the law, was saved by faith alone. It's a bit like two kids on the playground. You know, two young lads get in a scrap with each other, and they start fighting one another, and one of them steps back and says, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. 
And the other boy goes, no, 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 my daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy can take your daddy. Oh, yeah, well, my daddy can take your daddy. And then one of the kids goes, yeah, but my daddy's a special forces marine. To which the other kid goes, yeah, but my daddy's a four-star general of the Marine Corps. And my daddy has all the Marines at his disposal, and he commands your daddy. What are you going to say? Well, that's what Paul is doing here. He's going, okay, you talk about Moses all you want. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to go to Father Abraham. Oh, no, he's gone to Abraham, yes. And so what he is doing by bringing up Abraham is he is trying to help us to understand that it was simply by believing God that Abraham was counted as righteous before God. Without the works of law, without circumcision, without all of that, even Abraham, Father Abraham, was simply declared righteous on the basis of faith alone. And so what he basically does is he says it is because he believed God. Now, we need to give a little context to really what his faith was about. Because it wasn't just this generic faith. You know, yeah, we hear people say, I believe in God, right? I believe God. I believe in God. You ever notice how the name Jesus kind of escapes people's lips a lot? It's not that we believe in God, but we embrace Christ. That's how one person knows Christ or is truly redeemed. And so let's give a little context to exactly what it is Abraham believed as he was making this statement. And so what we discover is that uh, this statement in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6 is a direct statement from um, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And so if we are to understand the context of this verse, we'll need to look at how this plays out here. So what was the content of Abraham's faith? So allow me to, to read these out. Uh, verses 1 through 5 of Genesis chapter 15, so we can really see what his faith was. It says this in Genesis 15, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. He's not yet known as Abraham. Paul refers to him as Abraham because it was much later he was referencing him back. But the, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will have to be my heir. Not a member of his own family, but a member of his household, an outsider by the name of Eleazar. And this is the Lord's response to Abram. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he uh, brought him outside and said, Look, Abram, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he, God, said to him, Abram, so shall your offspring be. So there is a, a particular promise that God is giving to Abram at this point in his walk that he ultimately believed God for, that ultimately gave him righteousness. And it's really wound up in the little word offspring. Your offspring, Abram, I'm going to give you, if you will, an heir. Now, the word offspring there is the Hebrew word zerah, zerah. The Greek rendering of it in the Septuagint, which which is a Greek rendering of the Hebrew Old Testament, Uh, the Hebrew is zerah, but the Greek word is... Sperma. 
sperma. So that's why the King James actually interprets the word offspring with the word seed. Talk about a word pregnant with meaning, right? Yes. And, and so, so God was promising Abraham this. From your own body will become your heir in the fulfillment of the promise that I'm giving to you. Now, what Abram would have known at this point in, in his life is a previous promise that was actually given to Adam and Eve way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. You see, back in Genesis 3.15, we have these words from the Lord to Satan who has beguiled Adam and Eve and caused them to fall into sin and rebellion against God. In verse 15, it says this, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, the human race, and between your offspring and her offspring. The word is the same word. Zerah in the Hebrew, sperma in the Greek, Here it's referred to as offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What we have in Genesis 3.15 is called the proto-evangelum. This is the first giving of the promise of a coming redeemer. So what God does right after humanity falls into sin, there is this promise. This promise from the, the seed of the woman will come a redeemer. And this one will crush Satan's head with his foot. You see, that's where the word defeat comes in. Oh, you guys are slow. I'm just kidding. Wow, I'm rolling them and you're not catching them. I'll keep going here. But no, this is the truth. You see, there is a coming one. He is called the seed. And this coming one is going to eventually arrive on the scene and he is going to crush Satan and provide a way for God's people to come out of rebellion and sin and come back into relationship with God. So this promise was given many hundreds of years before Abraham, but he knew of the promise. And so when you start to push this forward from Genesis 3.15 to Genesis 15, you understand that the true promise that God was giving to Abraham was for the coming Messiah. How do we know that? Because the Apostle Paul tells us that. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, listen to what it says. Now the promise was made to Abraham and to his offspring. Listen. It does not say and to offsprings, as referring to many, but to referring to just one. And to your offspring, according to Paul, who is none other than than Jesus Christ. So this is the content of the faith of what Abraham was trusting God for. Let me see if I can kind of put this all together for you. The saints who lived prior to this thing called the cross of Christ, those who lived on this side of the cross, understood that the day was coming, the day was coming, the day was coming, where God would send his Redeemer. They didn't know his name, they didn't know when he would come, and they did not know how he would ultimately redeem his people. But it was their trust in God for this promised one that God ultimately credited to people righteousness. And so now on the other side of the cross, we have faith alone in Christ alone by God's grace alone because we look back to what the cross work of Christ is. We know his name. We know it when it happened and how he did it. So what I want you to get in Paul's argument to the Galatians is this, and to the Judaizers is this. It has always been by faith. Faith alone. In Christ, the promised one alone. 
by grace alone. That is the only way mankind has ever been made right with God. Ever. Ever. This predates the law of Moses. This predates circumcision. This is the only way anyone throughout the course of history has ever been made right with God. It is on the basis of faith alone, by God's grace alone, and none other than the promised one, Jesus Christ alone. Now, over the years, the progress or progression of revelation, that content of knowledge has grown and grown and grown. And now that we're on the other side of the cross, we get it. We get it. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Now, I want you to notice this. Let's kind of unpack this statement a little bit because there's a lot here. It says, just as Abraham believed God. Now, the, the idea behind the believing in God is he believed God for the promised uh, seed, the, the promised one who would ultimately give him all the blessing that God had promised him. Now, the cool thing about believing God is Abraham did nothing, literally nothing, to get this. Because we know in Genesis chapter 15 that as God continues to play out the rest of, of that chapter, uh, what we see is there's a rather unusual cultural thing going on. God is going to ratify a contract with Abraham, putting himself as the sole one responsible for fulfillment of the promise. Literally, they, according to Hebrew custom, cut a deal. They cut a covenant. And what they did is they literally cut animals in half, put half of the animal over there, half of the animal over there, half of the animal over there, half of the animal over there. And so they would create kind of this walkway with these pieces of animal all on the sides. It's really gross. But the idea is that people would link their arms in an agreement and they would walk between these pieces of cut up animal. And what they were basically saying is this, may this happen to me if I fail to uphold my part of the contract. But what God did with Abraham is God put Abraham to sleep. Abraham was unable to walk up between those pieces. And so God put Abraham to sleep, and Abraham had a vision of God in the form of like a, a burning furnace or a pot going up between those pieces all by himself. And God was ratifying the contract and saying, this is all on me, Abraham, you just believe. You see, nothing Abraham did could make it happen. And if he tried to do it, as we know he did, it goes really bad. But you can't keep God from fulfilling his promise. And so God ratified this. So Abraham believed God. And then what happened? What's it say? Read it with me. And it was counted to him. Very good. So he simply believed God. He could not do anything. God took full responsibility. God put him to sleep. So again, there's nothing he could do but believe. And so Abraham believed God, and what God did was he counted to him, this was counted to him as righteousness. The word counted uh, literally means to reckon or to credit to one's account. Whoa. <laughs> I, we need to unpack that for just a quick second. You know, often when we refer to the cross work of Jesus Christ, we, we refer to uh, the substitutionary atonement that Jesus Christ procured on our behalf. Substitutionary atonement simply means this, that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God who lived a perfect life, obeyed the law completely, went to the cross in my place. 
And there I should have paid the penalty for my own sin. There I should have paid the debt that I had before God. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is, and I should have paid it. But Jesus Christ, in his love and mercy and grace, went to the cross, and there on the cross he endured the wrath of God that I justly deserve for my sin, and he paid my sin's penalty. And all God's people said, Oh! So I come to God, and I've got this huge debt, huge debt, that there's no way I could ever pay it, and it requires my death. So Jesus comes along, and he takes this indebtedness, and he says, I'll take that. And he puts it on the cross, and there he dies to pay the debt off for me. Now, that's amazing. That's awesome. But that's not half the story. Because the other half of the truth of justification is this. Not only does Jesus Christ take my sin upon himself and there pay the debt of my sin, but Jesus Christ then gives to me his righteousness. Oh, oh let that sink in for just a minute. This is why it's called grace. You could never earn that. You could never deserve that. God gives it freely on the basis of faith. Yes, you got it. You work for it, you don't get it. But if you trust God for it, he gives it freely. So what that means is this. Not only did Jesus Christ pay the penalty of my sin and give me forgiveness. Hallelujah, forgiveness, what a beautiful word. But God does not leave me in a place of neutrality with him. God doesn't leave me in a place of innocence like Adam and Eve with him. God now credits to my account before him the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I now stand as perfect as the Son of God in the presence of the Father because of what Jesus Christ had done. And all God's people said, this is grace. It's amazing when you start to get your arms wrapped around it. So, not only are we granted forgiveness of our sin and the payment of our debt by coming to Jesus Christ by faith. But we are also made flawless. There's a new song out there right now that has captured my attention. Maybe you've seen it. There's got to be more I feel the 
speech like this and wrap him up in righteousness. That's exactly what he did. filthy wretch like this and wrap him up in righteousness. But that's exactly what he did. That's a line from that song, but it's also the truth of the book of Galatians as well as the mainstay of the book of Romans. It's called justification by faith alone. This is where God imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He credits it to the one who places simple faith alone in Christ alone, enabling them to be justified, to be declared righteous before the holy God. This is a biblical truth that is so important in our day and age because there's a whole lot of people out there that will tell you, no, 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 no. Faith in Jesus is fine, but you've got to do and do and do and do and do if you ever want to be made right in God's sight. And yet that is exactly what the Judaizers were saying, and that's exactly what Paul is militating against, because even in Abraham's day, it wasn't what he did. It was simple trust in the promised one by God's grace that credited to him the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans. I just want you to understand how true this is, how deep this truth goes. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, the gospel, faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. By faith. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Speaking of Abraham. And to the one who does not work. But believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited or counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 17. This is where imputation comes in. The idea that God directly credits it to us. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man. So much more those who will by faith receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 9 and verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not even pursue righteousness... Yet they attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by simple faith. Other scriptures, Philippians 3, 9. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness that is derived from obeying the law or doing good works, but it is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God is on the basis of simple faith and trust in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. But by his doing are you in Christ Jesus who now becomes to us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why am I belaboring this? Why am I going out of my way to say this? Because, dear ones, if this is true, and Paul staked his life on it, was ultimately chased around the Mediterranean world, beaten and scourged, and ultimately, according to tradition, was beheaded for this, this truth... If it is true, then there can be no such thing as purgatory. Did you hear me? If justification by faith alone in Christ alone is true, and again, Paul gave his life for this truth, and much of Galatians and all of Romans was built around this truth, then there can be no such thing called purgatory. Purgatory is an intermediate state after physical death in which those destined for heaven now undergo further purification by suffering to atone for their own sins so that they might achieve the holiness necessary to enter into the joy of heaven. How can that be? How can that be? If that is the case, then eternal life is not a gift of God's grace, but it is a work of human effort. We must thus finish the reformation of our lives through punishment. That's not good news. That's not good news. And that's not the message of God's grace. It is a works-based religion. Jesus plus, 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 plus. Now, I'm not seeking to disparage any other faith tradition, but I'm simply calling out those today who are leading others astray. I feel as though the truth must be made clear. I like what Timothy Keller tweeted this week. Timothy Keller is a pastor up in New York City with the First Presbyterian Church up there. And uh, he, or Redeemer Presbyterian, and he tweeted out this statement this week. All religions, all religions and philosophies say, this is the way, trust us. He goes on to say, however, 
only Jesus Christ says, I am the way. Trust me. There is a radical difference between those two truths. And so the Apostle Paul was seeking to stick a big pin of the prideful balloon of the Judaizers who were doing all these good works by bringing to bear none other than Father Abraham. And so going back to this, we'll tidy this up right now. We have the example of Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, given to him as a gift, righteousness. Know then. Know then, this is where Paul is giving his exhortation to the Galatians. Know then is an imperative, and it acts like an exclamation. Know then, be sure of this. Know this for certain, that those who place simple faith in Jesus, that those are the ones who are the true sons of none other than Father Abraham. Know then, that it is those who are faith who are the sons of Abraham. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So just let's just praise the Lord right hand. Do the right hand. Okay, here we go. We're going to do the second, second verse. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right hand, left hand, hold them up, praise the Lord. Yes! This is his point. You see, the Judaizers were all about, look at us. We're direct lineage from Abraham. We're Jews of Jews. We keep the law. We're circumcised. We're as good as Flint. We're in. And Paul's whole point is, you don't understand. The true sons of Abraham are those who are by faith. The lineage of Abraham is not a physical one where your last name needs to be Steen or Stein or, or Berg or, 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 or Levi or Cohen or any of that. It is those who put simple trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And dear ones, they are the true sons of Father Abraham. So, dear Galatians, you Gentiles, please do not listen to these Judaizers because they're leading you astray. It is not a works-based religion that I'm telling you is how you be right with God. It is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and that grace is amazing. And then Paul ends with this final explanation in verses 8 and 9. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. So then, in summation, those who are of faith are blessed. Let me say that again. (laughs) So then, those who are of faith are blessed. Right along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's ending this portion, this, this, this exposition of the Older Testament By basically saying this, God is not a respecter of persons. I don't care if you're Jew is what he is saying. I don't care if you're Gentile. God has opened a way. God has made a way. And it is by simple faith in the person of his blessed son. And those who embrace him, will know what it is to be blessed of God, forgiven of sins, and made flawless in the sight of God. How else could Paul say, for me to live as Christ and die as gain, if he had to look forward to more punishment? 
How could he say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if this wasn't true? How could he open virtually every one of his writings with this promise to the saints in Rome? What? How can that be? They're still alive. To the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae. Yes, you're saints, you're holy ones. Hagios is the word. You have already been declared righteous in Christ, even though you're alive. That's his point. It is a lie for you to do Jesus plus anything to receive the gift of eternal life and the righteousness of Christ. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter how badly you have messed up. It doesn't matter if you feel undeserving. It doesn't matter if you feel like you've done the unforgivable. God offers his son if you will come to him in simple trust and entrust him with your life. And you will be given more than you could ever earn or deserve. You will be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is friends, is why it's called Amazing Grace.